0: Thessalonians chapter 2 we are moving along pretty good too as a matter of fact I think the time that we've had Uh, you you announced the kids day right we moved the date I don't know if you guys noticed that I think we moved it last week but uh, yesterday we had a a funeral service here for a friend of ours that rides with Bikers for Christ and um, his sister had passed away And uh, a couple of weeks later that his dad passed away. So um, they didn't want to do both funeral services on the same day. So we did the sisters yesterday. And then the next day that that was available for them, it was July 15th. So we moved our kids' day from July 15th to the following Saturday uh, in order to accommodate the family. We we just, I couldn't tell them, oh, we can't do it that day because we have an event. I, I thought we were, we would be generous and gracious enough to reschedule our event. But uh, I know that some of you were waiting for it on that day or some of you were or at least were aware of it, but um, I, I say this more to pray for the family. Evelyn is the mom and the wife, uh, and uh, she was here yesterday in the family and it was it was pretty tough. It was pretty tough to to do that, knowing that here in a few weeks we're going to do another one for the family. Uh, so pray for Steve, DePaul, uh, and to Evelyn, and uh, we'll see how. How that, that all turns out uh, by the way they were blessed to be here they just really really enjoyed the fact that we were here that they were here they loved our facility uh, you know it was a uh, let me turn this off I see people putting their sweaters on my wife I won't, ma- I won't mention any names but her her initials are my wife <laughs> yeah um, but uh, anyways, they uh, they were really just blessed to be here. James and Wonder, you guys did a wonderful job. Thank you guys for just stepping up and uh, being here for them. And and uh, next the next time around, there's going to be more people here. So if anybody wants to help and be a part of that, it'll be on, on June 15th, July 15th, July 15th, okay? Yes, there is another event happening that day, but we won't mention that one now. Open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Oh, uh, you know what, by the way, while I said that, I was going I was intended to, lead in prayer for the family. And any other prayer requests that you might have? Uh, any any other prayer requests? I'm sorry? Yeah? Selena, uh, oh, no. Again? Okay. I told her they're going to be strong, healthy adults. Okay. How's Chris this morning? Okay. All right. I make Jan, sure you Jan. oh Jan, yeah, heard her back, huh, okay, anybody else, yes, Rick, yeah, our friends Peggy Rick and Peggy uh if you do if you know if you know anything about they've always been here to help and uh minister to us through their service and their helps, they sold their property in Victor Hesperia and they're moving to Florida safe travels (laughs) yes uh, we're gonna miss them so uh, I'm thinking about moving up there and planting a church and uh, just to be next to them (laughs) he welcomed us already (laughs) I can't go anywhere the Lord hasn't sent me to go all right so uh, that's a that's a different story but we'll keep Rick and Peggy and prayers for their move that it goes smoothly All right, yes, Esther. For all of our children. Yeah, children and and grandchildren. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, I want to thank you again for uh, just the love that you've poured out to us and how you've given us uh, just the authority and the mandate to go and minister, to make disciples first and foremost, and to baptize and to lead and to teach, Lord. And I pray, Father, that you can help us as we go about going, making disciples. And we thank you for just the love that you've encouraged us with, with those that are around us, and, and the love that we were able to pour out to the family, the Paul family, for Evelyn and, and, uh, and all the kids that were here and everyone else, Lord. And it's such a, such a terrible loss that uh, she had to bury her, her daughter and now her husband as well. So, Father, I pray for them, and I pray that you strengthen them and help them to uh, come around. To, uh, with, to have people come around them to give them the encouragement that they need. And I thank you for that opportunity to be there, a part of that ministry as well. We want to lift up to you all our kids, Lord. Th- those that are sick, those that are uh, strayed, those that are uh, estranged from us for whatever reason, Lord. We know that um, that, that the that the disobedience of every person, child, grandchild, even ourselves has dire consequences, and I pray that you can help us to minister to our kids specifically and our grandchildren. I care for those that are sick even today, Lord, help them to, to get better, and I, I pray for, for uh, Chris and for uh, Winter this morning as her Winter is taking care of Chris, and I, I just pray that her seizures calm down and she's able to to regain her strength as well, and Lord, we pray for Jan and her back, and, and we pray for her healing and on, on all that you're, that's going on in her life and just, just the things that she goes through in life in general. And we also pray for Rick and Peggy as they're getting ready to embark on this journey, Lord, in another chapter of their life. And I thank you that you've given them the ability to do so, the strength and the vigor and, and just the commitment, number one, to you and then to each other. And Lord, I just thank you for how you're building them and just what you're going to do through their ministry as they go to this new place, Lord. I thank you and I, and I bless you ahead of time of what the fruit that is going to be produced because of their commitment devotion to you. And so, Father, we do pray for those that aren't with us today. I thank you for Joan and continue to lift her up in prayer for Terry that uh, is not with us as well right now. But, uh, Father, we pray that you strengthen her as well. And and those that have not been able to make it for whatever reason, we come to you, Lord, just to know that today is the day that you have made. And we want to celebrate that together with as many of us as possible. So thank you for that, Father. Lead us in all things, I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Amen. You know, this is fitting because one of the things that Paul talks about today, he's sharing his heart. Last week I shared with you that we ought to uh, strive to please God and the, the various things that it takes to please God and how it is not necessarily to please God. We God's already been appeased and I think many people are trying to appease God by doing things, by doing so many things in their life. And instead of trying to uh, uh, please God, we try to appease God. The appeasement has been taking place already. That's been done on the cross. The cross. Uh, of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us, First John tells us that He is the propitiation. In other words, He's already satisfied the, uh, the, the demand or the command. He's already satisfied the judgment in our behalf. And on our behalf, when he took my sin, he gave me his righteousness. And so that appeasement has been done. Now, my reflection or my life is to glorify God and give God the glory and the honor. And many people say, well, how do you glorify God? How do you bless God? Well, basically, what we want to do is we want to please God in what we do. Not that he is requiring or asking us to make him happy, but it's what we want to do. We want to please him because he saved us. He gave us eternal life. He gave us his son Jesus Christ. And I equate it somewhat to what children do when they make something or they do something and they bring it to you and they they say, Look, look, mom, look, dad, look what I did. You know, and, and look how I cleaned my room. And sometimes it's it's good, and sometimes, well, you know, it needs a little bit of adjustment. But but they're trying to please you because they love you. It's kind of like a cat that brings a uh, a bird and says look look what i got for you you know uh, a dog or whatever the case may be you're trying not to gain their their uh, appeasement you are you, not you're not trying to get get them happy at you all you're trying to do is to show how much you love god or that person by right? the things that you do we talked about that last week we we uh Pleasing God, it produces concern for others. Paul t- told us last week in verse one, chapter two. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. It wasn't something that they were trying to trying to work into their program and trying to get money from these guys. Uh, Paul also says to them that that uh, pleasing God produces confidence in the power of God. You know, because what God was, what Paul was trying to do. As he was proclaiming the gospel, he was trying to get as much of God's word out. And, and this is what a lot of the people were doing at that day. Some people were doing it for the money, for the evil gain. They're trying to gain money and trying to gain notoriety, trying to gain prestige and trying to try to make a name for themselves. And Paul says, well, you know, we didn't come to you in that sense. You know that because of the way we lived, we didn't we, we don't care what anybody else says. And they told us to stop. But we kept preaching anyways, because we're not here to please man We're here to please God. And his whole purpose in life was to please the one that saved him. And so today, Paul continues on with this thought of how he has, as a leader, as a pastor, how he has taken on this responsibility of pastoring this little church in Thessalonica. Now remember, when we talked about this at the very beginning, Thessalonica was just a little bitty church, it was a little group of people, it wasn't even a church yet. They ran him out of town, didn't spend a whole lot of time there, and they ran him out of town and he was gone. And so word comes to him by a messenger saying, these people are doing phenomenal just in the word of God and how they, they receive the word. Now it's multiplying and everywhere that it's going. And Paul was just excited about the word that he heard. So he's, he's sending back word to them and he's telling them to, to uh, for he says, you know, that we didn't go to you in vain. He says to them to, that you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel in the midst of much affliction. The gospel of God. For our approval does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext for greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from, from people whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles. They didn't go there trying to get the glory, the notoriety. They didn't try to get any kind of anything toward them. But Paul says, we came here with pure hearts just to share the gospel of God. This is what he said, and we were, we we're going to do it regardless. And right now, we're going to see as to why God, Paul did this and how it is that he, not only with the people in Thessalonica, but to the people in Galatia, to the people in uh, Corinth, to the various people, various churches, he had a compassionate heart. And I'd like for you to just hear his heart. And not only to hear his heart, but to mimic, to copy, to imitate his heart. Because there is something within the church when you understand that gentleness that you can have toward other people, that genuine love, it just flowed. And, and somehow within this facility, somehow within this place, people sense the love of God. And it was just us three that were here, wasn't it? Just three, I guess, and, but other Christians as well. And when we come together as a group of believers, then God's love just flows and it flows to people and they, they receive it. Many times, as I've heard from others that have visited for the first time, they say, you know, there's just this welcoming spirit within you guys and within the, the, it's, it's because of what God has done for us. And we desire for you to come to know that same love and that same uh, devotion that we have for Jesus Christ. And then in verse 7, he says, but we were gentle among you. And now this is a very strange wording, but look at this. We were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you, believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Father in heaven, help us to glean the principle that Paul is teaching here of himself and how he was able to minister to this small group of believers that just loved him and how he responded and why it was easy to love Paul and respond back to him because of his nurturing kindness, his heart, his gentleness. There is an art to this, Lord. We know that. And we can't make this up. We can't even make it happen. It is something that is organic within us because of the Holy Spirit. Many people are kind in this world, but genuine kindness, the kindness that comes from you, Lord, is generated by the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for that. So, Father, lead us this morning as we grasp and try to understand this art of gentleness that Paul had, that we too can have as leaders, as pastors, as teachers, as ministers, each one of us, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. And we all say, amen. Jesus said to us in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. How, how terrible it is, you know, and, and I hear reports from other people that come and other churches that they've been to. And, and I hear reports on how there's infighting and backbiting and people are just you know, that, that to hear that it just breaks my heart. It puts a black eye on the church of Christ, because if anything, if, 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 the, if any, the world should know anything about the church is that, man, those guys love each other they give their lives for each other they invest their lives they they've given themselves to each other and they want to do community together because that's a very peculiar group we don't even do that in my family and that should be something that the world should say jesus says you know i'm giving you this commandment this is not optional this is not only only for churches that are united or big churches or, or churches that are just only family. This is for all churches. Every Christian, every believer needs to love and hear this commandment. And this commandment is, you got to do this. You got to love one another. The problem is, is there's a lot of unlovable people in the world, right? None of us are perfect. And people are looking for a perfect church to start loving people. And uh, you're not going to find that perfect church. Like somebody once said, once you find that per- per- perfect church, don't join it. Because if you join it, you're going to mess it up. Because none of us are perfect. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. You know, the problem today is that we think that everything is love. If, I, if somebody likes somebody, they love them. You know, we use the word love, we throw it around like like nothing you know i love my wife i love my car i love my dog you know i love pizza you know how do you how do you differentiate from that you know in the greek they had various words for love there's three of them there's at least five or six different words for love there's three of them that the new testament uses and the love that god is talking about here the love that paul is talking about here the love that jesus christ proclaimed is the godly love which is agape unconditional you just love because god loved you unconditionally. He unconditionally elected you. He unconditionally chose you. You didn't have to do anything. You didn't have to make any certain prayer. There was no special formula. God just loved you from the foundations of the world. He loved you before you were even born. He says, I love you. That's unconditional. You see, we love with conditions. As a matter of fact, a lot of what the love that we have for our spouses or girlfriends or whatever, boyfriends or whatever the case may be, our love is more conditional or it's more of a lust. It's more of a desire, which is, there's another Greek word for that, and that's uh, eros, where we get the word uh, erotic. And there's uh, there's that eros type of love. And that love is not necessarily pure. It can be. Because th- that should be within the marriage uh, of, of husband and wife. But that's not the kind of love that Paul is talking about here. And there's another love that the Bible talks about, and that's the brotherly love. Like I love my brother James. I love my brothers in BFC. I, I, I love you guys. And there's that brotherly love. And, and, and that brotherly love is, adol- uh, is um, that brotherly love of phileo is what it's called. And that's where we get Adolf- Ad- Philadelphia. Brothers, love, the city of brotherly love. I'm getting this mixed up. Anyways, because they talk backwards, just like in Spanish. you got to kind of move it around this way to make it seem right. But uh, uh, Philadelphia, uh, uh, you know, Philo is the word for brotherly love. Adelphia or Adelphos is the word for, uh, Greek word for brothers. And so we have this brotherly love that we have. And so when the Greeks spoke of love, they had a very specific word that they would use for the type of emotion they were trying to convey. But see, for us, when Jesus said, you know, you know, let us love one. I love you man. I love everybody. I love the whole world. You know, I don't hate anybody. That's not the kind of love we're talking about. We're talking about what Paul's talking about here. And he's going to share with us in just a little bit. That kind of commitment love, that love that only comes from a deep desire to help and to grow and encourage you and to give of myself to you to do whatever it takes to help you to grow in the name of Jesus Christ. See, Paul says, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother. Now, that's a beautiful picture. That's a beautiful picture of what Paul's desire and love was. He says, you know, I wanted to do everything to make sure that you were properly fed, I didn't want to bring to you any philosophy. I didn't want to bring to you anything from the world, any other kind of thought, any other kind of revelation, any other kind of dreams or visions or or angels or, or anything like that. I brought to you the word of God. Paul never brought out anything except for what God himself had given him. Now, there was a lot of philosophy. There was a lot of uh, things that were going on in the world that people were falling into. But Paul says, no, I want to give to you just exactly what God has given to me. And that's it. Not my own idea. As a matter of fact, there's, a many, there's many times in Scripture, especially in 1 Corinthians, Paul would say, you know, this is not God, but this is me. I'm saying to you. And God says, then he turns around and says, but the Lord said, and then this is what he says. And in that sense, that all came to be God's word, even the things that Paul brought on, out himself. But he made a differentiation about that. He, he, just, he differentiated about what is God's word and what was his word. But he says, we were gentle. So the very first thing that we need to understand about the art of gentleness, number one, it includes a careful devotion. It includes a careful devotion. When you have a child, mom's, you know, you, you want to just wrap that baby. You want to swaddle them. You want to keep them close to you. You want to make sure that they're fed properly. You'll, you'll do whatever you can to make sure that the water is the, the right temperature, the formula that you're using. If you're, if you're nursing, you want to do, do it correctly. want All these things change the baby, burp the baby, check the baby's temperature because you are a mother that loves their child. You know, not that we can't love our child that way, but there's certain limitations that men have. And Paul, he used that picture. He says, just like a mom, I wanted to feed you. I wanted to care for you. I wanted to take care of you. I wanted to, to help you grow. I wanted to pick you up if you fell down, and I didn't want to cast you away. See, the picture of a parent in the times of the first century. In Rome, if the, ch- if the father was displeased with the child, he would just have it thrown away and they would toss it into this pile of heap and they would burn it up. Or, you know, if it would die, it would die. A lot of people would come by and pick up these children and, and raise them and use them as slaves and, or sex slaves as well. And, and they, would, they would just take these children. And if the father was displeased with the child for whatever reason, uh, you know, one simple reason was because she was born a girl. I wanted a boy. Get rid of it. That's all he had to say. And so children were not something that people really cared for as much. And Paul is saying, look, no, I I, I gently, I, I was gentle among you like a nursing mother. The mother that kept that child was kept and held and brought up, strengthened, nourished, educated. And Paul is saying, you know, and I did this for you and I did you were there. You saw this in just the short amount of time that I was able to be there. He says to the people in Colossians chapter three, verses twelve through thirteen, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. This is a command. We need to have this compassionate heart. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. This is our call. The problem with somebody disrespecting me or somebody else, the, the problem with, with uh, complaining is that we never really complain to the person that the complaint should be addressed to. We always complain to everybody else. And that's not the call, beloved. If you have a, an issue with me or with anyone else one day, there was a, a gentleman that came up to me and says, you know, I, I need to tell you, right after the church, right after, we're, sitting right out here, we're standing right out there, right after the church, say, hey, you know what, I got a problem with this brother. Oh, really? Okay, hold on, hold on. Hey, brother, come here. And he says, oh, no, no, I want to tell you. No, no, hold on, hold on. Hey, come here. And I got, here, he wants to say something to you, and I walked away. <laughs> That's how you handle it. Beloved, if they would talk to you, they're going to talk about you. Stop it! Nip it at the bud. You have a complaint. Talk to them specifically. You know, and, and work this out, because there should not be any kind of division. You, we're not going to see everything the same. Part of the class that, part of the, the lesson that we were studying here a few weeks ago about the church in our lesson, we were talking about how we have various gifts, and prior to that, we talked about how we have different uh, attitudes and different ideas, and there are a lot of things that we may not dis, we may not agree on for one, is politics. We may not ever agree on politics. You know, and in politics, to be honest with you, I I, I don't like getting involved in politics because if they're not on my side, the people that I'm supposed to be evangelizing are now my enemies. I don't want anything to do with them. You you see, and and politics divides you in that sense. The, The mission field is everyone, especially people that don't agree with you. That's the mission field. And in politics, it divides, and you don't even want nothing to do with them. You're only going to hang out with the people that agree with you. And so we're going to have differences of opinion. We're going to have different ways of looking at what's going on, you know, culturally. But what we need to do is focus on what we have in common. First and foremost, we have the Lord Jesus Christ in common. Amen? We believe that He died on the cross for us. Amen? We believe that He resurrected. Amen? And we believe that he's coming back again. You know, in just those three things, we can agree on those three things. Politics, you know, that'll take us way out in different ways, different places. Sports teams, whatever the case may be, people are so die hard on their convictions that if you don't agree with them, they want nothing to do with you. Let's focus on the things that we agree. Amen? We agree on a lot of things. And one one of the things about our classes is we focus on those things, the fundamentals, of the faith that we agree on, that not only is Jesus Christ the Son of God, but we believe that Jesus Christ is God. That is a key factor for our church, not only just for us, but for a lot of Christians. We believe that God is three in one, that He is Father, He is Son, and He is also the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Counselor is the one that convicts the world of sin. We believe that the Holy Spirit is convicting us. We believe that the Word of God is true. There are no errors in God's Word. And it's sufficient. We, all we need is God's word. We don't need an outside revelation. There are just various things that we focus on, that we believe in, and we can get a conviction about those things. Now, everything else, we can discuss them, but let's not argue and bicker about them. Because we are not nurturing. We are not bearing with one another, is what Paul says uh, to the people in Colossae. And, and so like a nur- nurturing mother, we need to take care of uh, the children. Paul uses that word a lot. He calls us children. He calls the church children, like my little children, my son, Timothy, who I raised as a child. And he's talking about spiritually, not physically. And he, over and over again, he says, see, this picture is usually, a, it's kind of foreign to, to leaders in the world. And for some of you, you're thinking, you know, I don't, I don't think I want to lead people like that. But in the church, it must be. In fact, for most, it would appear almost sentimental or like a weakling uh, that you're doing something like that, that you would nurture somebody, you know, to try to get them to do what you want. But the standard for the world is, you know, get it done, whatever it takes. You use people to get things done. But in the church, we use things to help people grow. And, and so in, in the world... You try to preach that or teach that, they won't grab it. They can't grab it. It doesn't make any sense to them. Number two, the art of gentleness includes intimate affection. Paul says, so being affectionately desirous for you. You know this this term of, of being just so desirous is it's that term that I just wanted to spend time with you. I wanted to get to know you. I wanted you to get to know me. Uh, th- there's this 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 attraction, this affection. It's not a sexual type of an affection. It's not any kind of that romantic type of a refec- affection. It's this genuine affection that I want the best for you. It, it's kind of like when you're probably hanging out at the park or. Maybe at work, and somebody falls and they, they skin their knee or they skin their elbow, and you, you, you want to affectionately pick them up. You want to help them. You, you want to get a band aid. You want to get some disinfectant. You want to wrap th- their, their wounds in a gauze or whatever the case because you affectionately care for that person that just fell. For a lot of people, to be honest with you, some people just say, Oh, well, you know, now you learned your lesson, I hope. Paul is saying, I was desirous of you. I wanted you to know that you are my beloved brother in Philippians 4:1 he says therefore my brothers whom I love and long for my joy and crown stand firm in the Lord he says my beloved you are my joy you are my crown this I I, I speak of you with all sincerity I speak of you with you know in high regard I I, I think highly of you guys I brag on you guys because of how you've grown and, and I do that with you as well you know And uh, people always ask, you know, how big is your church? You know what? It's not that big, man, but they're powerful. They're a very giving group. They are just such a, a wonderful pe- group of people. And we come from different walks of life. And, and, and I mean, just look around us, just the, the differences that we have and the places that we've been. And I mean, and I'm constantly bragging on how you're learning and how you're growing. And I get the feedback that I get back from those of you that are coming to the classes. And it's just amazing on how Paul is using the same word. You know, you're my joy. You're my crown. I, I, I display you everywhere I go. Everybody knows who you are. Because I love you. I have this affectionate desire for you. In, in Philippians 1, he says, for God is my witness. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Remember in Philippians, he was uh, the letter that he wrote to the people in Philippi. He wrote it from prison. And Philippians is called the book of joy. And he's writing it from prison. And he, he not only wants to be with them, longs to be with him, to be, out, be out of prison, but, you know, that's part of it, maybe. But I believe that more than anything else, he just, you know what, you guys really brought joy. Because his whole letter is joyous, and you would, you would have to stop and think, wait a minute, he's writing from prison? Rejoice in the Lord, he says always. Again, I say rejoice. If I was writing you a letter from prison, I would say, oh, help me, please. Pray for me, please. Get me out of here, please. Maybe that would be my call. I hope not. Paul says to Timothy, as I remember your tears, I long to see you and I may be filled with joy. Paul had this art of gentleness down. He cared for everyone that he came in contact with. He understood who they were. He ministered to them uh, and he he knew them by name. Not only only do we have the art of, uh, of gentleness include this affectionate love, but number three, it includes sacrificial love sacrificial love and the rest of verse eight says we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of god but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us paul says you know what i'm not only going to share with you the the gospel of god and and remember this term gospel of god we went through this we spent a couple of weeks on the gospel of god the gospel of god has was preached in the old testament Remember, Paul didn't have the Roman roads. He didn't have uh, the four spiritual laws. He didn't have tracts to hand out. When he's talking about the gospel of God, the good news of God, he was sharing what the people did to Jesus Christ, the sin they committed, and the gospel, which is the good news that God had for us. All through the Old Testament, beginning with Adam and Eve, how they sinned. And God said, if you eat of that fruit, you will die. God's grace covered their sin. He, an animal was slaughtered, and the skins of this animal were placed on Adam and Eve, and they were trying to hide their nakedness, their, their, their sin. They were trying to hide it with leaves, things that will, be, will disappear soon, things that, that just are, aren't going to last. But God covered them with an eternal blood of the lamb and most people think it was a lamb and covered them with skins of clothing he expressed his, instead of killing them like he said he would you would die he gave them grace and from the very beginning grace has been given to every person that has placed their confidence and faith in, in, in god himself and righteousness was bestowed upon them and it has always been by faith salvation has always been by faith before the cross and after the cross Paul says, I was ready to share that with you. I wanted to give you the gospel, let you know that you are saved. You are saved. You are saved. Like I said yesterday afternoon, when I, I rhetorically asked the question, saved from what? Saved from God's wrath. You're saved from God himself. When you are saved, you're saved from what's to come from God, who's going to deal with everyone that are not his. But Paul goes on to say, you know, and, and this is my desire, but I wanted to share my life with you. If I could have, I'd have stayed there longer. But it was so dangerous for you and for me that we just moved on. I wanted to give you all that I have and all that I had. And if you know the story of Paul, it's exactly what he did to the very end. We don't know from Scripture what ultimately happened to Paul. In Scripture he just kind of disappears in the pages. He's It's no no longer spoken of tradition tells us that he was beheaded he was held in prison for a couple of years and after he after that we don't hear anything else from him but tradition tells us that they took him out and says you know we got to do something with him they just beheaded him so i'd right, be gone that's what the roman empire did and he gave of his life every single step of the way this art of gentleness Uh, In in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, it says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? See, Paul says, I I love you, and I'm going to give my life to you. And you ought to do the same in return, not only to me, but to everyone else. And I'm willing to be spent. I'm willing to give everything that I have, every ounce of energy, that I have that is as, as the sweat pours out my body and, and it just the tears and, and the and the blood that I've shed and, and all I want to give it. Jesus Christ gave it all. And if Jesus is my example, that's what I want to do. Number four, the arts of gentleness also includes an unselfish labor. Now, this is very strange wording as well. For you remember, brothers. Our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. This labor, of course it's work. It's it's the, the work that a person does. This toil is the energy that is being expended on this, this labor. But these two words were also used in the labor of a mother. And, and it's the work and the toil and the pain that comes through it. And Paul says, you know, you remember on how I, I just toiled and labored. I did this in front. You guys remember this? Not that he was boasting, not that he was bragging, because we got to step back a little bit now and realize and remember that the people in Thessalonica, after Paul was kicked out of town, you know, they started accusing Paul of starting a riot, of doing all kinds of things. You see, that's why he left. He left because he just came in here, caused a lot of trouble, and then he took off. You know, and, and they, were, they were calling him all kinds of names. They were saying that he was just one of those preachers that come around like everybody else, preach the gospel, or try to get into people's homes and try to get their money and try to get rich and, and whatever the case may be. And they were talking bad about Paul. And Paul says, you know, I'm telling you, you remember. You were there. I was there. on how I, I labored over you. and I, t- I didn't ask anything <coughs> from anybody. I didn't, I didn't ask you to donate or to give. As a matter of fact, I worked. He did. He worked as a tent maker. So Paul wasn't receiving any help. There were churches that would send a maid, people that would send him things, but that that wasn't his goal. His goal wasn't to get rich off this speaking uh, journey that he was on. He says, you remember. You remember the kind of work I did. In Galatians 4, 18 through 19, it says, it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I present When I am present with you, my little children, from whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. The people in Galatia, in Galatians, they were listening to a false gospel the gospel that was that you, that you know you can name it and claim it this gospel that you know you can get visions from angels this gospel that Paul is talking about and he's saying you know even if an angel were to come down to you and give you a different gospel that you can be saved and and plus you have to do this and you have to do that saved and you have to have vision saved and you have to have dreams saved and you have to have smart this the emanations that were coming from heaven or some other place these these visions that were appearing to people supposedly and 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 these people were following these angels and Paul says well, what is wrong with you guys? What is, what is wrong with you? I mean, you already got saved. Why are you trying to follow all this other stuff? Listen to the word of God and only God. And he says, and he says right? you know, I've already given birth to you. In a sense, I've worked and I've toiled. Am I going to have to do that again? So am I going to have to work with you and work through you and help you get all that doctrine and theology that you had learned and and everything that has gone? You know, am am I going to have to do that again? Don't bring that back in. As a matter of fact, if you go back to Galatians, let me just kind of show you real quickly. In Galatians chapter one. And if you're using a a pew Bible, it's on page 972. And this is the only this is the only letter. This is the only letter that Paul doesn't give a commendation. All the the commendations, you know, you're doing great, you're doing good. After the introduction in verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Yes, you're saved by grace and grace alone. That's it. And and, and Paul is saying, you know, I I gave you birth. I gave my work and toil, all this stuff that was going on. Not that there is another gospel or another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Anybody comes to you and tells you, you know, oh, you're saved. That's great. I'm glad you're saved. You know, however, uh, have you had visions? Oh, then you're not saved. However, do you speak in tongues? Oh, then you're not saved. Oh, however, are you creating miracles? Oh, no, then you're not saved. See, salvation is by, is by grace alone, through Christ alone, in faith alone. Amen. Jesus Christ died on the cross. I cannot add any more to that. I can't add any more to what Jesus Christ has already endured on the cross. Either you're saved or you're not. And the evidence is your life, is what you do, and Paul is looking at the evidence of these people in Galatia, and he's these they're they're talking to him about all kinds of things that are going on. And in verse in chapter four, in chapter four it says this, you know, it says uh, uh, in verse verse eight, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slave you want to once uh, who want to enslave you uh, want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. Am I afraid? I may have labored over you in vain. There's that word again. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I have become. I also have become as you are. You did, not, you did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment, and I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me. Paul is basically saying here, you know, these are the things that have already taken place. These are the things that I've already done. We've already been through this. We've already, no other angel, no other anything, is going to come to you and give you more than what? God has already given you. So is faith by works or is it by faith? You get saved by what you do or do you get saved by what has been done? And when Paul is saying, you know, I, I've anguished. I, I gave birth to you. I, this, this was painful. It, it was hard, but I'll do it again. I'll gladly do it again, he says. I want you to know that my life that I'm spending and in, in investing in you is on you and you alone and the word of God and faith in God, and faith in God alone. Number, f- number five, the art of gentleness includes not only helping and leading, unselfish labor, but spiritual leadership. Spiritual leadership. Paul says in the first part of verse 10, you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you, Believers. He says, you know, you, you saw our life. We didn't, we didn't say one thing and, and do something else. We weren't putting on masks and taking them off. We weren't being theatrical or, or hypocrites. If I told you to do something, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the best of that I, that I, my ability to do what I'm doing, with the best of my ability to do what it is that I'm asking you to do. I could never ask you to do more than what I'm doing. Otherwise, that'd be hypocritical. Paul says, you are witnesses. God also. God is my witness. You know, how holy. In other words, not that he was pure, but he was set apart. Remember, holiness is being set apart. Holiness is, is not, it. God is pure. That's true. God is perfect. God is holy. And holiness for God is pure and perfect. But for us, we're not pure and we're not perfect, but we can be set apart. And being set apart from this world, being different than the world, being different than, than the, our family, being different than everybody else. And the difference is what Jesus Christ has taught us and what Paul continues to reiterate, what Paul continues to tell us. Paul says, you are witnesses and God also, how holy, how set apart we were how, and righteous. You know, we were, we were made right by Jesus Christ. And because we were made right, I don't partake of those things anymore. It's good that you've stopped drinking, stopped smoking. It's good that you don't chew and hang out with women that do. It's good that, uh, you know, you've done all these crazy things before, now you don't do them again. I'm not going to stand up here and give you my testimony and everything that I've done in the past. All I can tell you is that I used to be, I was a wretch, and Jesus, Jesus Christ saved a wretch like me. I was blind, but now I see. And, and I want to tell you all about Jesus Christ, not my past. I want to spend every last breath that I have telling you about jesus christ and the grace that he has for his church and he says you know i was i was made righteous and so i act righteous i try to live righteously i i do things according to the the word of god and and i want to live that way and 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 not to lie not to be angry and, and i want to love you he goes on to say and blameless was our conduct toward you believers and that's what it was he says i was there for a short time but you saw this in First Corinthians sixteen thirteen, it says, "Be watchful and stand firm in the faith. Act like men, and be strong." Only time that Paul says that to anybody, says it to the people in Corinth. Corinth was a messed up church. Oh man, they had all kinds of issues going on. They, you know, they were they had factions. You know, I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. I belong to Cephas. I belong to Jesus Christ. You know, I'm from the Paul group. I'm from the Peter group. You know, we're the Jesus people. You know, you guys. And so there were factions. There was all kinds of. Uh, you know, adultery going on, and there was there was lawsuits going on. I mean, they were they made a mess of the spiritual gifts. I mean, they just made a big old mess out of them. Paul had to invest three chapters to try to straighten them out. He was just constantly just encouraging them and telling you know get, get right. And the First Corinthians is that is is the one place that where he tells them you know act like men. I want to get into this portion of this this verse here, but I'm going to save this for. Couple of weeks from now, because it's interesting how Paul is talking about being a mother and being a father, and we're right in the middle of Father's Day, Mother's Day, which was two weeks ago, and Father's Day, which will be in two weeks. So in two weeks, I'll come back and we'll kind of go over this again for dads. Act like men. Again, not like what the world says, but but the the, the, the Corinthian text is the only place where he says to act like men. But the but but it is talked about a lot in in the scriptures. You know, especially when the it is it is. Talked about with, with Joshua and with Moses, you know, be strong, be courageous, you know, don't be afraid. And over and over again, he's telling us, you know, be, you know, I'll be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you like I swore to your fathers over and over again. You know, be strong and courageous. Be men. Act like men, especially in our day and age, beloved. See, because you can act like men, you can be men, you can grow like men, you can lead your family like men because you have the presence of God, you have the promise of God, and you have the power of God. And God says, I will be with you. And making decisions sometimes based on your what the Word says as opposed to what the world says is going to bring opposition. Just know that up front. Just know that up front. Act like men. So Paul's talking about a father model here. He says, you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you. And so in number six, the art of gentleness includes motivational guidance. Paul says, for you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He goes, he shifts from father, from mother to father. And and the whole responsibility of a unit, a home, the reason you belong in a church is because you need that nurture that the leadership can give you as a father and as a mother the nurturing of a a mother but the encouragement and and the uh, the exhortation and the charge that a father can give see a father is is the is the teacher he's the trainer he's the leader he's the one they all look up to and in our culture and kind of like in the in the in, in most of the culture but mainly I can only speak of my culture, where I come from. In our culture, I didn't have a father at, at a very young age. He passed away. But in a lot of cultures, we don't have dads. And so mom becomes the heavy. She's the one that we, we look to. And then because uh, mom was heavy, you know, grandma was heavy. And, and, and then in the, in the Hispanic culture, we grew up, with the Catholic Church. And the, St. Mary, she's the one that everybody prays to because, you know, God is too, too lofty and too big and too mean, and you, want, you don't want to talk to Jesus. He's just a brother. You want to talk to the mom. You want to talk to the mom. Talk to her, and she will get it done for you. So we have this matriarchal system within a lot of cultures, mainly the Hispanic culture, where everybody focuses on the mother and the mom and the grandma become the matriarchs, and it never was to be that way. It has always meant to be a patriarchal system. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Men act like men. And the absence of men in the home has caused many kids to just focus on the moms. And the moms had to take up the slack. This guy came out of prison. He says, you know, he was, he was there for like 20 years and he came out and he, they asked him, why do you think a lot of these kids are going to prison? He says, because, I'll tell you one thing, the number one reason, not because they're in gangs, not because of this, because they don't have a father. You see, they, they don't have a father in the home. And the father is the one that's supposed to teach them, train them, discipline them. But they find that in gangs. They find that in leaders. They find that in other places. And they don't have dads. And if they had dads at home, that would correct them. And beloved, raising a bunch of kids, you know, I say a bunch. But uh, it, it is difficult. It's a hard task. But you act like men. I'm going to give you some, instru- uh, some instruction on that on Father's Day. Paul says in Ephesians 4.1, and as a matter of fact, that's going to be part of our family day as well. We're going to have a a portion of of the time together with the activities, helping children to obey their parents. Parents are saying, what? Yeah, help them to learn how to obey their parents. But at the same time, I'm going to talk to the parents. Uh, Parents, okay, here's how you do not exasperate your children. Okay, now that that word is a little bit, what does that mean? We're going to go through that. We'll have a little study on what it means to exasperate your kids, or do not lead them into, or push them into uh, being mad at you. But it's going to be uh, intentional with the discipleship of children and parents for just a short time, plus a lot of activities, hot dogs and chips and games, and we're going to have a lot of good, we're going to have fun on that. But everything we do, we try to make it intentional. Paul says, I therefore, in Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You know, once again, Paul says, uh, we exhorted each one of you and encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God. This This is a term that Paul uses over and over again. I want you to walk in a manner, walk in the Spirit. So, so, you do not uh, gratify the desires of the sinful nature. He says, walk. Uh, another, another term in Colossians 1:10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the kingdom of God. 1 John 2:6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, this walk is not just you know, the way I walk, but it's your lifestyle, it's the way that you're going. It's in the direction that you're heading. Where are your feet taking you? Paul says everything you do should take you to the place that you become more and more like Jesus Christ. More and more like Him. And then Paul says, that is my desire. I want to be like Jesus Christ. And then he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Walk in that manner. How many of us can actually say that to the people that we hang around with? How many of you can actually go to your co-workers, to your family members that know that you're a Christian? How many of you can actually go up to them and say, I want you to follow my example the way I follow the example of Christ? Are they going to laugh at you? Are they going to look at you differently? You know what? You're right. I, I, I should. I should walk the way you do. Can you help me? Can you lead me? Can you teach me? This walk in life is a long journey. It's not something you do on Sunday morning. It's not something that you can pick up on a Sunday in a Bible study class or a discipleship class. It's not something that you can read about. I'm sure you can, but it is something that you do throughout the journey of your life from this point forward. And when God changes your life, when God changes your life and gives you leaders that care for you or are gently encouraging you and they have this art of encouragement and this this art of gentleness they 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 they, they are carefully devoted to you and and trying to nurture you like a mom they are they are intimately affectionate with you because of their love for jesus christ and their love for you and your family they give the sacrificial love which at whatever time of the day whatever hour whenever it is i will be there they they include unselfish labor they work and they toil because they know that they're going to produce a fruit. They're not expecting anything in return. It includes spiritual leadership that guides you and motivates you. And and, and number six includes motivational guidance. And it gives you that guidance that you need to grow into a disciple-making disciple. See, our responsibility as Christians are to produce disciples. The sheep produce sheep. And every sheep ought to be discipling somebody to bring them along. And Paul says, this is why I strive. This is why I ended up in prison. This is why I do what I do, because this was the call that was given to me. And if you've committed your life to Christ, then you need to commit your life to a church. You commit your life to a church, you learn from them, and you you learn how to make disciples, how to grow disciples, how to nurture disciples. But your first and most important ministry is your home. Like a father, like a mother, Paul says. That's how it should be. Let me ask you to stand. God's word convicts. That's the Holy Spirit's responsibility. Jesus said he will convict the world of sin. When when you're being convicted, you know that the Spirit is leading you. And now the conviction ought to lead you to a place of repentance. And that is the place of regeneration. When conviction hits, leads you to repentance. And repentance leads you to a a regenerated life. And God cannot do anything without a regenerated life. He will not use an unregenerated life. You know, maybe I shouldn't put it that way because he did use unregenerated lives to cause his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for his purpose. But within the church, within the church, he desires for you, number one, to be convicted by his Holy Spirit, repent, and be regenerated. And regeneration happens at the moment of salvation. And when the Holy Spirit convicts your heart saying, you know, I I need to do this or I need to do whatever it is. Maybe I should stop doing that. And then you you transform, you change. You fight against it and you continue to live your life in the way that you do. Then you know what's going to happen is it's going to be a miserable life. You'll have it nagging in the back of your head because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts you, he convicts you, he convicts you. And he brings glory to Jesus Christ. He doesn't bring glory to himself. He brings glory to Jesus Christ. And when you follow his word, not my word or any other word, but his word, this is why I try to be as careful as I can to share with you God's word, not my word. And when you follow his word, it causes growth. And so when we have those under, that understanding of repentance, regeneration, you start to grow, you become a gentle Christian. You learn this art of gentleness because God is forgiving. You come to realize, man, my sin was messed up. I was messed up. I was so broken, but God healed me, and therefore I want to share this with somebody else, and you use that gentleness. Not like the world teaches, but the way the Word teaches. When the world finds out how much you love them. How much this church loves the world? We're going to have to close the doors, keep people outside, get two or three services. They need to know of your regenerated life. And to follow, you ask them to follow your example. You know, God has been blessing us tremendously just in the last couple of years. It has been amazing to see what God's been doing. And I I just anticipate even more so. But I I thank him for his word and only his word. Father in heaven, thank you once again. I pray that conversion happens today. I pray that today there there is repentance in our lives. That we repent from the the wrong that we know that we're doing. And that we turn to you. Father, we know that your word is solid and true and, and, and there is no other word. And we stay within the bounds of your word not deviating. Father, forgive me for the time that I, I may have strayed or said something out of, out, of, uh, out of line, Father, and I just pray that you help me to continue on going straight through your word every time. I thank you for the conversion, for the, for the conviction that you're giving all of us right now. And we thank you for this, this time that uh, you showed us who Paul was, a nurturing mother, a guiding father, to people that he had just met but he cared for deeply. Lord, help us to be the same. Lord, we thank you for all that you do, and we thank you for this time, and this this time of prayer we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says amen and amen. All right. We will hang around for a little bit if you'd like. Have some coffee with us. Thank you. I'll be up here for a moment if you'd like to come up for a word of prayer. (laughs)